morning. Good morning. If y'all want to uh, go ahead and grab a seat. Uh, good morning. Hey, my name is Ben. I serve uh, serve as an elder here. Um, Advent season is is one that we that we really enjoy uh, as as believers, as Christians, right? So, the word Advent just means arrival. Um, but the the Advent that we're celebrating right, is the arrival of Christ coming. Um, as a baby to live as a child and then as an adult and bringing a message of peace, bringing the hope of the gospel for us. Um, so in, in the Advent season, one of the great joys for me as a father is to know that uh, the message of Advent is for everyone, right? It's for my kids. No matter how much I mess them up as a parent, um, Christ is for kids too. And we love that about that, love that he came as a baby and lived that way. Um, and so one of the joys that we get to have, right, that I get to have today is to, to share my ministry with, with my son. So Liam's going to come up and he's going to, to read for us this morning. So if you would all stand with us as we read. Our scripture this morning is Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 15. If you are using one of the blue paperback Bibles in the pew, it is page 2. Genesis 3, beginning in verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree, and I ate. And the, then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed, you are, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. And she, he shall bruise your head, and he shall bruise his heel. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thank you, Liam. That was great. Um, this, uh, this morning while we were having breakfast, kind of getting ready, he asked me, he's like, Dad, did you get, get everything finished last night? And I was like, I got yeah, most of the way done. I was trying to figure out how, how should I start, you know, just trying to figure out how I want to open. And he gave me this look of like, what do you mean? You just say good morning. That's what you always do. <laughs> Um, so, good morning. Um, hey, if you are, if you're new to Christianity, right, the book of Genesis, obviously at the beginning, 
Um, we see in the first few chapters the, the creation account. God creates the world. Uh, he spoke, and it was. Let there be, and it was, right? And as we continue to read and we get to chapter three, which Liam just read for us, um, we read about the beginning or the genesis of sin and evil in the world. Now, talking about Advent and, and the coming of Christ and these things, um, jumping back to, to the beginning of the Bible, um, may seem a little odd, but at the, within this, we also have the promise of the coming Messiah. From the beginning of time, the beginning of creation, the beginning of the story of mankind, God had Advent in mind. He had the coming of Christ in mind, and that's, that's why we're going back to the beginning here. So um, I'm gonna pray, and we will dive in. Um, Father, thank you for your, for your plan. Thank you that um, from the beginning you knew, you knew that it was going to culminate in Jesus walking on the earth as a man, um, being born as a child, walking through all the things that we do, experiencing puberty and experiencing stubbing his toe and, and all of the things that we face um, as humans so that he can relate, so that we can relate, so that we can have hope in you, Lord. And as we um, as we see, as we're going to see today, just this waiting in the hope of the Messiah, Lord, that we have now to look back at, and also waiting in the hope of, of the final victory, Lord. We just are so thankful for your words. We're so thankful for, um, for your plan. And we pray in your name. Amen. Um, so here, here in chapter three, right, Satan in the form of a serpent approaches Adam and Eve, or approaches Eve specifically, and, and just has a conversation, right? Um, he tempts her, gets her to question the commands of God, she believes the lie, she takes the fruit, she eats it, and gives some to Adam and he eats it as well. Um, so picking up in verse seven, then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Adam and Eve break, break the one kind of do not command that they had, right? God had, had created them. He'd put them in the garden. He said, hey, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and you can eat anything you want. And the one do not was, hey, don't, don't eat from that tree. They, they broke that one command. Um, and so the response is to do two things, okay? They make loincloths and they hide. Those are two things they did. I want to think about a little bit though, what, what were the emotions they felt in this moment? Okay, I'm sure there's probably some sadness. Um, probably felt a little bit angry towards each other. Definitely some anger towards, towards the serpent. But when I read this story, especially as I was reading it over the last few weeks, the two primary emotions that really jumped out at me were shame and loneliness. Okay, shame and loneliness. Right, it, says, it says that after eating the fruit, their eyes were opened and they knew that they were naked. Earlier in Genesis, it said that, that God placed them and they were naked and unashamed, right? So, what, so something, something flipped here, right? They weren't naked for the first time in this moment, right? They'd been this way from the moment God breathed life into their lungs. They didn't just eat this fruit, wake up, realize, oh, shoot, I forgot to get dressed this morning, right? That's not what's happening here. Nothing about their physical condition had changed. Nothing about how exposed they were had changed, right? What's happening here really isn't about their physical nakedness, it's more about the spiritual and the emotional exposure and the vulnerability that they're feeling in this moment. Up until now, Adam and Eve had been walking in perfect relationship with God. The barriers that sin creates just didn't exist. 
you know, as we're reading, it says that, that they heard the sound of, of God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they went and hid. Like, they hadn't, hadn't seen him yet. They just heard. They knew his sound. It was a familiar thing to them. They walked with God regularly. I don't know. I don't know if you have a, that, a person like that in your life where you just, you know them by their gait. He's kind of here. You know, maybe one foot is a little bit heavier than the other. Um, we can always kind of hear when Liam's coming up the stairs because it sounds like a giant elephant is pounding as hard as he can. Every swallowing he'll fall going up. It's, it's pretty entertaining. Um, right, but that, there was that familiarity. They heard the sound of God. He kept them safe and secure. They had never witnessed death or even pain of any kind. You know that moment of clarity that comes right after you give in to temptation? Right, the, the battle's over. The side of you that you wish didn't win, did. You're hit with just that kind of that wave of emotion, the clarity of guilt, kind of that pit in your stomach, that vulnerability, the weakness, right? That's what's happening here for the first time in human history. They broke the do not command. Immediately they knew they had damaged something. They didn't know what it was, but they knew that something was broken. Something was damaged, and they tried to do something about it, right? They felt the weakness of their humanity for the first time. Up until now, God walked with them. He provided for them. He protected them. They did something to break that and all of a sudden realized, oh, I'm a human and felt the weakness of their humanity and they felt ashamed about it. That's why they made loincloths, right? They were so exposed, so vulnerable. They were trying to do something, anything they could do to cover the most vulnerable parts of themselves, right? They weren't about modesty. It was an attempt to feel less vulnerable and less ashamed. If you've ever spent time around um, young kids starting to figure out that they're independent, like year and a half, two years old, that's a really clear picture of what Adam and Eve are doing here, right? Okay, young kids, when they first start to break rules, not because they don't know, like, you know, a toddler, whatever, to color down, touch an outlet, oh, don't do that. No, when they know, hey, yeah, I'm not supposed to color on the wall, and they do it anyway, um, and they get caught, you walk around the corner and see them, you need to say anything, right? They'll do one of those, or hide, or stand in front of it with their tiny little body, or go run in the corner, right? Nobody teaches us that, hey, when you do something wrong, there, there's, a, there's a something, there's a problem there. We know. Right? It's, it's our conscience. God put that in our soul. Um, we just know, right? You put yourself in Adam's place here. Can you imagine what Eve was feeling? Relate to the reaction they have to their sin? Of course you can. We've all been there. Probably not sewing fig leaves together, making one class, right? But the feeling of shame, that vulnerability that comes with the fear of your sin being exposed and then reaping whatever consequences may come. And then that desire, the desire that we have to cover it, to hide from it, right? You feel that? What about the loneliness that comes with that? When that thing you did hurt one of the most important people in your life, there's some distance there, right? You know you've hurt them. You see it in their face. You hear it in their voice. They turn, they walk away. Man, it makes you feel alone. Makes you feel really alone. I don't know that any of us have felt the depth of loneliness that Adam and Eve were experiencing in this moment. None of us have walked with God the way that they did. They literally walked with the presence of God on earth. Every day being reminded of the paradise he created for them. It was in front of their eyes. And here they are, they're, they're hiding in the trees. 
waiting to see what's going to happen because they, they know they, they did something to it. Can you imagine how lonely of a place the Garden of Eden, the perfect Garden of Eden felt for them in that moment? So what's God do? Okay, what's, what's his response? In verse 9, he has what I think is one of the most extraordinary responses to this that, that he could have, right? The Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? Think about what just happened, okay? Adam and Eve listened to and followed the advice of Satan over God. They disobeyed. They broke his commandment. They damaged their relationship with God and with each other. They introduced sin and evil to all of mankind. And like a toddler that colored on the wall with a permanent marker, they tried to cover up their shame, and then they ran and hid from the Almighty God. Okay. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? Okay. God's God. He already knows what happened. He knows exactly where they are. He could have easily said, Adam, come out from behind the fig tree. You're terrible at hiding. I can see that ridiculous loincloth you just made. We need to talk. Get over here. Right? That's usually how I respond to my kids. Not always the best. Right? But he doesn't. Right? He could have popped up next to him. Surprise. No, he doesn't do that. In response to one of the darkest days in history, in response to an action that would culminate in the crucifixion of his son on the cross, he simply says, where are you? God knew in this moment they were feeling the crushing weight of extreme loneliness and extreme shame. They didn't know how God was going to respond, but what Adam and Eve knew was they had messed up big. They knew the power of God, but they were confused. They were guilty, ashamed, feeling so many things for the first time in their life. They were trying to hide, and God knew how vulnerable and alone they felt in that moment. Where are you? I know exactly what you did, but I want to see you. Where are you? You have no idea the ramifications of your actions, but I do. And I want to be with you. Where are you? Adam, my son. Eve, my daughter, I love you. Where are you? I know you're hurting. Where are you? I know you're feeling vulnerable and exposed. Where are you? I know you think you ruined everything and destroyed our relationship. Where are you? I know you're feeling more alone in this moment than you ever have in your life. But you're not alone. It's our time. I'm here for our walk. Where are you? The first thing God does in response to Adam and Eve's sin is to make sure he knows he is looking for them and it's safe for them to come to him. If he had wanted to just move to punishing their sin, he would. Why bother with, where are you? He would have just called them out, handed down judgment, and moved on. But no. When they were at their most vulnerable, the loneliest they had ever felt. God wanted them. God wants you to know he's looking for you. He's calling out to you. My child, my love, where are you? You don't have to face this alone. You are never alone. They don't have to face it alone, but they still do have to face it, right? God asks Adam, where are you? Adam responds to God, telling him, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. God said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? Again, God already knows the answer to this question. Okay? He isn't asking Adam whether or not he broke the commandment because he's not sure what happened. He knows. 
Okay, so God asks Adam to eat the fruit from the tree. Adam tells God that, hey, this woman you gave me, she made me do it. She gave me the fruit, and I ate it. God turns to Eve, and Eve says, hey, that serpent over there, he made me do it. Right? I asked, asked Liam when we read this together, I said, well, you know what, what do you think about the story? He's like, man, no one wants to take responsibility. It's your fault, it's your fault, it's your fault, right? <laughs> Everybody's pointing at each other. They're guilty, right? They know they're guilty. They're ashamed, they're embarrassed, they're afraid of what's going to happen. So Adam deflects, deflects blame on Eve. Eve deflects blame on the serpent. And they would see what God's going to do. Okay. In this moment, it is so clear to me that they're experiencing some really unhealthy shame. Okay. Healthy shame is a gift from God. Healthy shame is a response to sinful action, right? We feel ashamed because we sinned. It moves us towards repentance, moves us towards asking for forgiveness, moves us towards healing and wholeness. Healthy shame helps us to not repeat those actions again the next time because we remember those feelings, right? Helps us to grow maturity because it helps us to recognize what sin is. God gave us shame as a gift to help us to recognize and to grow. Unhealthy shame says there's something inherently wrong with me. Okay, healthy shame is, is, is a feeling over an action that we took. Unhealthy shame is, oh, me, right? It's, it's instead of outward, it's inward. I need to hide something. I need to cover something up. I need to compensate for something. Okay. You know the reason? The reason Adam gave for I was hiding from God? He said, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid, not because I ate the fruit, not because I disobeyed. He said, I was afraid because I was naked. Again, remember, this, this was... God placed him in the garden exactly how he created him. And Adam said he was afraid because of that. There was nothing shameful about his nakedness. They were created that way. In fact, in Genesis 1, it says that God looked at them and said, mankind is very good. The way I have created mankind, this is a very good thing. A very good thing. He created them, you know, fully clothed and as part of their sinful interaction, they decided, you know what, let's strip down naked and dance in public. That's, okay, that's shameful, right? Your nakedness is shameful in that regard. But that's not what happened. Their physical status had not changed. The shame they felt for their sin, that was healthy. The shame that they carried over, that they felt about themselves, about how they had been created, that was unhealthy. Okay. Now that experience, sin leading to shame, that's both healthy and unhealthy, we can all relate to that, Right? I've felt that before. Felt the, man, I did that again. What is wrong with me? Right? And that's, that's where we start to cross that line. There's a, hey, what's wrong with me? I need help. What's wrong with me? Lord, why can't I? And a wrestling with God. But when, it's, when we internalize that, no, something is just wrong with me. That's where it starts to get unhealthy. Right? I'm just a broken person. Okay, now there is a nugget of truth in that, that brokenness. Okay, all of mankind is broken by sin. We're all broken by sin. And so that feeling of, man, there's just something broken here. Yeah, the brokenness is our sinful nature. Okay, but the core of who you are, the person that God created, that he looked down from heaven on and said, very good. There's nothing wrong with that person. There's no shame in how you were and are created by God. So in this interaction, God knew, God knows, when we're stuck in those feelings of unhealthy shame, we need to be loved and cared for. Sin absolutely has to be dealt with, but has to be dealt with in such a way that we're reminded about the truth of what we should feel shame about and what we should absolutely not feel ashamed about. So let's see how he does that here. Let's pick the story back up at verse 14. The Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, 
Cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. God knew what happened before he asked the questions, but he asked them anyway. First he went to Adam, then he went to Eve, and then he gets to the serpent. If you notice, he didn't ask the serpent a question. He doesn't give the serpent a voice. God gave space for the voices of the people that he loves, that he cares about. He let them speak, he wanted to hear from them. But when it came to dealing with evil, dealing with sin, he does not give evil a voice. He does not allow evil to speak. At the beginning of human history, we see God swiftly and powerfully dealing with sin and evil in the world, protecting and providing for Adam and Eve and for all of us. Not only does he immediately deal with the serpent, but he also gives Adam and Eve, and he gives all of us, two powerful reminders of who he is and the hope that we have. Okay, we have the curse that God places on the serpent, and we have the prophecy of the, of the bruising of the head and the heel. Um, we don't often talk about the curse that God placed on the serpent as a gift for us, um, but it was, just, it was a, such a powerful and incredible display of God's love in this moment for me as I was preparing. I just, we gotta talk about it. Um, especially, especially if you're someone who struggles with unhealthy shame. Okay. Now we don't know exactly what life was like for serpents, for snakes prior to this interaction, but it's clear that they spoke. It says they talked to Eve um, and that they had legs, right? Because God, part of the things is God removes their legs is one of those part of the curse, right? Um, at the beginning of this interaction, it describes the serpent as more crafty than any other beast of the field. And by the end of this interaction, the serpent is slithering on the ground, says eating the dust of the earth. God turned to the serpent and said, deceive my children, lie to them about my goodness, lie to them about my commandments, contradict me. This is how I deal with you. Your species, not just you, your entire species will never walk again. You will never talk again. You are the most crafty of all the non-human creatures and that's done over forever. We have the reminder in every variety of snake in the entire world that sinful actions don't mean you're a broken person. Sinful actions need to be dealt with, repented of, but the sin is what shameful is shameful, not the person that God created. That's the gift of the slithering snake. Chop off the legs of the sin. The second gift we have in this moment is the prophecy. Okay? The offspring of the woman will bruise your head and you will bruise his heel. Um, the Hebrew word that we translate into bruise here is, is pronounced shuf. It's used only four times in the Bible. Right? Twice here in this verse, once in Job and once in Psalm 139. Um, the idea of shuf is this crushing weight or a crushing blow. Right? In Psalm 139, 11, the psalmist is writing about how darkness is covering me. Right? And that, that, the cover there is that, that same Hebrew word. It's covering me so much so that even daylight feels like night. I am crushed by this darkness. In Job, he's describing a storm, a tempest that is crushing him and multiplying his wounds. That's the weight of this word. Okay. The offspring of the woman, Christ will come and will crush your head. This consuming crush. There's nothing, nothing small about it, right? He will crush the evil you've brought into the world. Judgment is coming. Victory is coming. 
Adam and Eve made the decision to disobey the command of God and listen to the deception of Satan. Before God handed out their consequences, and he did, right? He did deal with their sin as well. Um, But first, he called out to them in their loneliness, where are you? Where are you? Then he gave them the reminder of the slithering serpent to address their unhealthy shame. And he delivered a message, a prophecy of hope in the future, right? A child will come that will grow into a man, and that man will crush this evil. God made sure his children knew that he loved them, that he was going to continue to provide for them the way he had with the garden before he moved to the punishment for their sins. He dealt with them and their needs and their care before the consequence of their actions. There's another prophecy that we have in Isaiah. There's a lot of prophecies we have, one in particular in Isaiah, that speaks about this coming child, the one that will crush the head of the serpent. Another message of hope in the Messiah. So I've got, I kind of got it skipped around a little bit, condensed here from Isaiah chapter 9. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. We could spend hours, right? We could spend hours on each of those titles, right? On the beauty of the promises that are included just in those names. Um, I'm going to focus on just the last two, Everlasting Father and Prince of Peace. Um, before I do, there's one more thing, though, I want to say about shame and loneliness. Okay? Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, they felt a shame and a loneliness that was primarily a result of their own sin. Right? It, was, it was a self-inflicted wound. That isn't always the case. There are many times when we feel unhealthy, damaging shame and an intense, soul-crushing loneliness because of something that's happening to us not because of something that we brought upon ourselves. How many of us carry shame because of expectations that have been placed on us by our parents or others in our life? If we aren't achieving the grades, if we aren't dating the right person, mom's just gonna be disappointed. She might not say it outright, but you hear it in her voice. You get it it with the sideways look, right? If I don't get into that college or choose that major or pursue this career path, dad's gonna tell me I'm wasting my life. How many of us have been made to feel inadequate by the expectations and disappointment of the important people in our lives? And every time we look in the mirror, we feel ashamed of the person looking back at us. Who in here feels lonely because your friend moved away? Or maybe you moved away from your friend? Or a family member passed away? How many of us have been in a really weak and vulnerable place? Gone to someone we know and love, just opened up to them? and just had it dismissed, ignored, belittled, or even thrown back in your face. That is such a lonely place. Do you carry that with you? Some of the loneliest times in my life have been when I'm walking through a really intense trial, a difficult season, and I just kind of just grit my teeth and push through. Okay, I've, I've 
shared before, uh, my senior year of high school, my mom uh, went through kidney failure and, and a transplant. It was, it was a lot. Um, I was the oldest at home. I had two younger siblings that couldn't drive yet. We were homeschooling. I was captain, you know, supposed to be my big senior year, captain of the basketball team, and I, I'm going to grit. I'm going to push through. I didn't tell my best friend what was happening for like three months until my dad mentioned it to my basketball coach. My coach asked me about it, and then I told my team about it, right? I was like, you know what? I'm, I'm not going to be burdened. I'm just going to push through. The more that I do that to myself, though, the more alone I feel because no one really knows what's going on. In those places of shame and loneliness, we have an everlasting father. We have a prince of peace, right? The everlasting father. He is the one who never fails. He's the one who will never belittle you. The father who never loses his temper, insults your mom, breaks a promise. He is the good and perfect father, and he will never, he can never leave. He's the father that when you're in the darkest place, feeling your loneliest, crushed by shame, he calls out, where are you? He is the everlasting good and perfect father. And what is it that our everlasting father brings us? Peace. He is called the prince of peace. A prince in ancient Hebrew was the chief captain, right? Of all the military captains, the prince was the chief among them, right? He was, he was the president. He was the, the commander of the armies. And we have here the army that this commander is leading is an army of peace, right? He is bringing shalom, this complete sound welfare, this full and total peace, everything as it should be. The chief of the commander of the armies bringing perfect peace. So what's, what's our application, right? As we remember the coming of Christ, as we think about Advent, the crushing of evil with the death and resurrection of Jesus, the coming and the final judgment, as we close out 2023 and look forward to the celebration of the Messiah, my encouragement, make hope part of your daily life. Make hope a part of your daily life. The hope that we have is something that cannot, that will not ever fail. Adam and Eve were given a message of hope of the coming Messiah. One day there will be a child that will grow into a man that will crush evil. Today we get to both look back at the birth, the life, the death, the resurrection, the victory of Jesus, the fulfillment of these promises, these prophecies, and look forward to the final day spoken of in Revelation when the great deceiver, the ancient serpent called Satan, will be thrown down forever. We get to wait and to rest in that hope while remembering the promises and prophecies of God that have been fulfilled, that are being fulfilled, and that will be fulfilled. The toxic shame that you feel, the promise of Advent is that Christ came to deliver you from that. He paid the price for your sin, the healthy shame that you feel when you slip back into that old sin again and again. He paid for that. But it doesn't stop there. The shame you feel when you look in the mirror or when you're around that one person or when you remember those conversations with that one family member, God wants you to hear the promise of Genesis 3, the promises of Isaiah 9. He has dealt a crushing blow to our enemy, the accuser, the one who continues to tell you you're not good enough, you're not good enough, you're wrong. 
and he will finish him off at the end so that we can walk in shameless glory as the person God created us to be. Remember the promise of the slithering serpent reminding you what healthy shame is and what unhealthy shame is. God created you the same as he created Adam and Eve. Intentionally, without mistake, naked and unashamed. The person that God created was and is created in the image of God as an icon, a reflection to the world and there is nothing shameful about an image bearer of the one true God. Remember the call from God to Adam and Eve in the garden. Where are you? We read in other places in scripture that that Jesus came to seek and save the lost. To seek and save the lost. He says that he came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom. Jesus came to redeem creation. He left perfect communion with the one true God, the perfect communion of the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit to be born as a baby, to learn how to walk as a toddler, to feel hungry, to stub his toe, to go through puberty. The Bible tells us his father was a carpenter, Joseph was a carpenter, so Jesus would have learned the family trade. He smacked his thumb with a hammer, right? He got splinters in his skin. He got sawdust in his eyes. He lived in the desert. Right? He worked in the heat of the desert and got, he got a sunburn. Right? He had perfect relationship, perfect communion, perfect peace and rest with the Father and the Holy Spirit in heaven and he left it behind because mankind matters, because you matter. When he created mankind from the dust of the earth, it says that he breathed life into our nostrils, the, the intimacy of that, the closeness of that, to literally breathe into someone's nose. Okay, he breathed into our nostrils. He looked at his creation, pronounced it is very good. He went through all of that to ensure that every one of his beloved children would never have to be alone. You are never alone. Um, just a minute, we're gonna transition to communion. I'll pray. Um, we'll take a moment just of silent reflection for you to sit, just be with the Lord. Think about the joy of Advent, the coming Messiah. And then come forward at your pace as you feel led to take the elements. We have tables on either side here with the, with the communion elements. Um, and if you're a Christian, whether or not Icon is your home, celebrate with us. You know, you, you know the, the joy of our Savior. Celebrate with us. Um, if you don't call Jesus your personal Lord and Savior, um, this is time for you to just stay in your seat and to wrestle with that. Wrestle with that question. Ask him to show himself to you. Ask him for a taste of the peace. He's the Prince of Peace. Ask him just for a taste of that. Right? A taste of what he offers so that you might know what it's like to fully engage and to follow him with your life. Um, I, I don't always provide a specific direction or specific kind of, kind of prompt for this moment of reflection. I uh, trust that, that God's going to lead each of you. Um, today I do have one thing for you though. As you sit, as you pray, as you prepare to celebrate the life, the death, the resurrection of Christ, the coming Messiah, ask him to show you where you need to believe where you need to invite him in as your everlasting father, okay? Where are you hiding your shame? Where are you covering your shame? What, what, what loincloths have you put up in your life? Where do you need to trust his fatherly love instead of carrying that? Where do you need to let down your guard, let down your hiding place, and invite him to be with you? Invite that peace to wash over you that comes with him instead of trying to walk through it alone.
Let's pray. Um, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, uh, we are so thankful for this season, thankful for this time of year that we get year after year um, to remember the promises of the Messiah, to remember from the beginning of time you created us and it was very good we were unashamed. To remember that you deal with sin. To remember that you have crushed and are crushing and will forever crush evil and darkness in the world. Thank you for the names that we have that communicate different things about who you are. Wonderful counselor and mighty God and everlasting father, the, the prince of peace, the commander of the armies, the, all of the different names that we have throughout all of scripture. We just ask, just ask today, as we, as we go out today, as we live this week and this month, as we anticipate um, the celebration of the coming Messiah, that just ask that you would bring your armies of peace around us, that you will bring the armies of peace that remind us we're not alone, that remind us while sin is shameful, you've dealt with that. You've dealt with that, and there's nothing shameful about a human. Nothing shameful about who you've created us to be. Bring your armies of peace in the areas where we feel attacked time and time again so that we can experience that where we need it most. Thank you for the reminder we have in communion of your broken body and your shed blood. The price that was paid the price that was paid because you wanted us to remember to know that you stand and you're calling, where are you? I love you. Pray in your name, amen. This teaching was recorded as part of our current sermon series at Icon Church. During our weekly gatherings, we move from the teaching to a time of response. While we recognize it may be hard to capture that as you listen online, we encourage you to take a moment to reflect on and respond to what the Spirit might be telling you in response to what you've heard. For more resources and to find out how you can join with us on Gathering on Sundays, visit iconchurch.org. And as we say each week, Christ is all and we are His.